Amber Alert for a little girl in Saskatchewan has been expanded into... We were sitting outside, we heard him shooting. He's now facing 15 charges. In eight of Canada's 13 provinces and territories, crime is up. Hi, I'm Rachel. And I'm Shelley. And welcome to another episode of True North Crime. Uh-huh, where we discuss uh, Canadian crimes or things that have to do with Canadians and crime and the laws that uh, we abide by sometimes. Sometimes. Some of us. <laughs> Some of us. <laughs> but these people haven't, and that's why and that's we're why doing we're this. talking about them. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> that's very inarticulate of me. This is going to be a good start. Good right. job. Yes. Uh, great. How are you doing, Rach? I'm pretty Good. I ranted at you earlier today. I'm not going to repeat any of what I said. <laughs> right. Uh, but it felt good to get it off my chest. I'm still a little annoyed, but it felt good to rant. So thank you for listening. Yeah, no problem. I ranted back at you and I feel the same way. So yeah. Um, and then I just had a good phone call. So that was nice. Oh, that's good. Yeah. So just about upcoming seasonal stuff. And yeah. Um, I have a, a few sponsors in my other job. So I was chatting with that. Cool. Oh, yeah. Good times. Good times. Wonderful. Mm-hmm. Are you ready to talk about some murder? Oh, yeah. I guess I am. <laughs> I should hope so. That's why you're here. I know. I know. <laughs> you're always into the murdery ones. It's well, always the murdery. Well, there's a lot of it. And let's face it, some pretty crazy stories. I think the majority of crimes are not murdery. No, but... They're less, I don't know how to say this without sounding like a terrible person. <laughs> less in, uh, engrossing for you? Engaging. Mm. Interesting. Not always a great story to tell when we're talking about, I don't know, fraud. Shoplifting. Shoplifting. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. Uh-huh. So. Unless it's unless it's our own personal stories of crime, is that it? <laughs> I have never shoplifted anything. I haven't, on the record, recently. I, shall th- it I, there, there's a statute of limitations for these things. It's going to be fine. Is there? Is there really though? Yeah, there I, is. I stole something when I was 12, so I was also a minor. <laughs> it's going to be fine. I know. You don't have to worry. Oh, I don't know. Do I hear sirens? What? <laughs> yeah, they're coming to get you. Exactly. So anyway, so let's, let's let's stop talking about my life of crime and start talking about uh, someone else's. Someone, yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, so today, tonight, this morning, depends on when you're listening. Yeah, um, Rachel has chosen. I have. I do most of the choosing on this podcast. That is true. But when I choose, I choose good ones. Come on. What have you chosen? What I chose polygamy. Oh yeah, that's true. You chose polygamy. That was a good and, one. And then I also chose uh, the flying bandits. You cho- well, you chose one, and then I found out yeah, that there were two. Okay, yeah. well, I chose the flying bandit. <laughs> Team <you>. effort. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm no, determined always, to take. We're always credit. doing it. We're always doing a team effort. That's it not is. fair. Stream team. That's mm-hmm. what it, and Nick called us, so we have to live up to that. Is that really what she called us? Yeah, because you came to a training session, and I think Mitch wanted to split us up, right? But we wouldn't allow that to happen, and then. Nick was the one training us, and she called us the dream team <laughs> because we weren't paying attention to her. <laughs> yeah. Right. It's a good thing a Nick's a good friend. <laughs> that was a good session. Shout out to Nick. Good yeah. session. Yeah. Better than that other guy who I'm not even going to name because I don't want to bother dealing with it. <laughs> I don't think I remember his name. But yeah. I do. That was... I do. Yeah. I'm sure that you do. We're talking about skiing. <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> Nobody, we're being so cagey I, about it. I saw that guy too. Did you? Yeah. Oh, how's that? He's, he's going out with like the nicest person ever. When you're just like, you're such a douche. Why? Why are you going out with this, such a nice girl? We know a bunch of couples like that though. Yeah, where he's maybe, like a big maybe. tool, and she's really nice and. No, or vice versa. We know a couple of guys who are that's true, who are horrible, potentially borderline abusive. Yeah, I don't like. I really don't like the double standard that there is for guys and girls when it comes to like obsessiveness and stockiness. I don't like it. Right, like it's okay for a woman, but not cool for a dude. Like, oh, girls are crazy. Of course, they're gonna like 
text you 8 million fucking times in a row and ask where you are and like need to know every detail about your schedule. Like, no, that's not fucking normal. Guys, if you're in a relationship like that, get the fuck out. Yeah. She's (laughs) nuts. Yeah. Unless you're into some weird Dom psychological thing, fucking get out of there. (laughs) uh, Well, we have something kind of like that. Yes, we do. It does involve a crazy woman. (laughs) Oh, accidental segue. (laughs) Oh my goodness. Well, you better get to it. Oh, I should have said that I planned that. <laughs> <laughs> Too late now. <laughs> Fuck. Clever by accident. Oh, that's most of my clever. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So we are talking about the Harrison family murders. So this took place um, in Mississauga, which is a suburb of Toronto. On August 23rd, 2013, a man knocked on the door at 3635. Pitch Pine Crescent. Only a suburb would have a street address. Like that? <laughs> like that. That high. That's such a big number for a residential address. Yeah, well, that's in Toronto in general. In other, in other countries and other neighborhoods, that's not so irregular. But I don't know. I mean, I've... But I've yes. Yeah. You know if, someone's, I mean. if someone says that I live at 3535, I'm like, either it's Young Street or you're in the suburbs. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, okay, so the housekeeper answered the door, and the visitor said that he was looking for Caleb Harrison. Uh, Caleb, I guess, owned the house, and he hadn't shown up for work. So this guy had come to the house to check on him to see if everything was okay. The housekeeper said she hadn't seen Caleb, uh, but she had never checked in his bedroom because the door was closed, and she'd been there for about two hours. She headed upstairs and entered the master bedroom, where she found Caleb lying on the bed, the blanket pulled all the way up to his chin. When the ambulance arrived and the paramedic named Rick Morton looked up at the house, he said out loud, I've been here before. That's the prologue. Hmm. Okay. Kayla's parents, Bill and Bridget, met in Stratford, Ontario in 1965. Bridget was from London, and Bill was actually born and raised in Stratford. I thought this was interesting. His great-grandparents escaped slavery in Virginia and arrived in Canada via the Underground Railroad in yeah. 1837. And started a beauty shop, a bar- like a barber shop. A barber shop, yeah. Yeah. Like, super cool. Like, interesting yeah. history. And this yeah. couple, like, this couple, if you see their photos, I mean, obviously, they know marriages without qualms, but they genuinely seemed like a happy, a happy supportive couple. Yeah. couple. Yeah. But they couldn't have kids, right? That's right. Um, their relationship wasn't always easy. They were an interracial couple in the 1960s, so you can imagine they faced a lot of racism. They were committed to each other. They still face a lot of racism racism today. That's true. They were committed to that is not over, unfortunately. (laughs) Committed to each other. uh, Got married in 1969. After that, they settled in Mississauga. And as you said, yeah, Bill and Bridget couldn't have kids, so they adopted Caleb in 1973 when he was six months old. He grew up in a loving home. But his relationship with his mother was always kind of strained. I think she put a lot of pressure on him to succeed. She was a teacher. Yeah, but she wasn't just a teacher. She was like the best teacher. She, yeah, and... she was like the best teacher ever. Yeah. Um, and she and... like was a principal and then a superintendent and then like yeah. helped, helped change the curriculum. Yeah, like a huge deal. So it couldn't have been easy being her kid in school. Um, so Bill, he acted as kind of a buffer between Bridget and Caleb. In 2000, when Caleb was 27, he met 19-year-old Melissa Merritt at work. Oh, can I also mention something here? Did you see the picture of them at Niagara Falls with the dog? No. The white fluffy dog? I don't think so. Oh my god, do you know what the dog's name was? What? Fluffles. Oh! It's a white fluffy dog named Fluffles. It was the best. I was like, that is the best name for that dog. Oh my god, that's amazing. I know, sorry, I had to mention that because I was like, oh, Fluffles. Fluffles. I was like, what happened to you, Fluffles? It's like, he's like 10 or 12 in the in the photo. Oh yeah. But it was just like, yeah, and, and their dog Fluffles. I was oh, like, oh, it's so nice that they gave the dog photo credit. <laughs> totally. Well, pets are part of the family. Yes, Absolutely. It, it lends to the fact that they were like a good like family. A family. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Anyway, sorry, I had to interrupt. But okay. Go on. So, so he met he met Bitchface McGee. Okay. He met, <laughs> AKA <laughs> Melissa Merritt. Yeah, and that's understating things as we go along. <laughs> Bitch McGee. Shall I call her that from now on? Bitchface McGee. <laughs> no, I think she deserves a name because if anybody ever runs across this woman ever, 
Which they, they, should, they shouldn't. They should know her real name. Well, no, I don't think that'll happen. No. Anyway, we'll get there. We're jumping ahead here. All right. Yep. Sorry, sorry. So Caleb and Melissa (laughs) started spending time together, and soon enough, they were inseparable. Caleb drove her to and from work. They ate lunch together, and she cooked him dinner every night. I've never had a boyfriend do that for me. Well, she cooked him dinner, right? No, but I mean, driving me to work and home every day. Um, And I certainly never cooked dinner for everybody, for anyone, every night. I guess I would have to start off with the, like, I need to have a boyfriend to do that. I don't know, it just seems like a bit anyway whatever that winter there was a death in caleb's family and melissa wanted to go with him to the funeral it meant taking a day off work but she was worried her manager wouldn't give her the time off so she just phoned in leaving a message saying she wasn't coming in because she's going to a funeral uh she was yep. fired <laughs> and then caleb i thought this was stupid he quit his job in solidarity yeah well, I mean, as we, I think that from what I've read that Caleb was kind of like the hard on his sleeve, like just knee jerk kind of guy. Yeah, totally. And like, but the thing is, like, she's 19. So I understand impulsiveness on her part. But he's hmm. 27. Maybe she's 20. And he's 28 at this point. But I feel like at this, when you're kind of nearing your 30s, you're kind of past the point where you make these emotional decisions because he was out of work for a while after quitting i know but i don't necessarily agree with that like when people when they're in like that honeymoon phase are dumb all the time this is any age that's true and they're still in that phase of that time yeah so yeah you're right yeah people people when they're like i love him let's kill people i don't know like it's just like I don't know, just because we're talking about murder. But, <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like, people just, like, whenever you meet your friend, you're like, oh, you have a new boyfriend. I won't see you for two months. Yeah. Yeah. So. Well, that's true. Yeah, gotta give them that. Uh, all right. So, they met in 2000. They were married a couple of years later and had two kids, like, pretty much right away, a boy and a girl. Caleb loved his kids. He was a devoted father, tattooed their names on him. Maybe he wasn't the best husband, his marriage to Melissa wasn't easy. They had money problems. Family life was stressful. And Melissa liked to make up stories. Bro, like, didn't just like to, like, she's a pathological liar. In the spring of 2004, <laughs> she had a cyst, but led everyone to believe that she had ovarian cancer. Like, that's super that's, fucked up. Like, that's a, that's, that's a big red flag. <laughs> yeah. Like, but what is wrong with you? That you're going, like... No, but like seriously, what that's what I'm saying. Like she's pathological. You? Like she is fucking crazy. Yeah. I know. Well, knew. I don't know her anymore. I knew a woman who was pathological, not in like this way, but in other ways that are unhealthy and destructive. Mm-hmm. Anyway, uh, we're not going to talk about her. Caleb, she's not, she's not murdery. <laughs> she's not murdery. Okay. Caleb. Okay, in 2005, in June 2005, Caleb struck Melissa during an argument. He spent three nights in jail and was released on his own recognizance. The couple separated after that, and Caleb moved back home to Pitch Pine Crescent. And Melissa refused to let him see the kids for a while. That July, so that happened in June. In July, Caleb was invited to a keg party in Milton, which is outside of Toronto. An hour? About an hour. They have some yeah. climbing. Something like that. And they have a small ski hill. Yeah. <laughs> it's really all I know about Milton. There is I've been a there. Really I've good there once. shoulder surgeon in Milton. <laughs> yeah, they have, I think I think they have. Is Rattlesnake Point in Milton? Oh God, I don't know. I think I had an ex who was a pathological liar, and he told me that he got bitten by a rattlesnake there in Milton. Well, can we believe him? <laughs> pathological Rachel, liar. Rachel, no. you knew him well. Can we believe him? <laughs> no. And this is why I don't have a boyfriend who fucking cooks for me every night. <laughs> Drives me to work. Whatever. Because of this guy? Well, not really, but. <laughs> okay. In Milton, he goes to a keg party. Uh, one of the conditions of his release was that he abstained from alcohol. So he told his friends he'd be the DD. He had already violated his this no drinking rule multiple times because he used to go for drinks after work. Uh, but I guess nobody knew about it. Caleb got tanked at the party and then got behind the wheel. His friends refused to get into the car with him and he just took off alone. Yeah, smart, smart move by his friends, by the way. Seriously. Not long after leaving the party, Caleb, going 100 kilometers per hour, 
cross the center line on Derry Road, which is a wide boulevard. Sorry, not boulevard because there's nothing in the middle. A wide road. Uh, so it's easy to go really fast along it. He crossed the line and plowed into a cab. The driver, Michael Raymond, died in hospital the next day. Four teenage boys were in the cab. One of them broke an arm and a leg and fractured his spine. Another was scalped from his oh. eyebrow to his ear in this oh. accident. Yeah. Oh. Both cars burst into flames and the two less injured passengers climbed out a window. People who lived on Derry Road saw this happen. They pulled the injured teens from the cab. Caleb's friends, the ones who'd refused to get in the car with him, were just up the street and they saw the crash happen. They pulled Caleb from his burning car. He only suffered a broken leg and a hip injury. He was charged with impaired driving, causing death and bodily harm, um, and was released on bail and lived under house arrest as part of the bail condition. I, I honestly think that's way too easy for killing someone, like right? drunk driving. Yeah, yeah. I just, like, I really, I really don't, like, it's like there was another case in uh, King City where that really rich millionaire kid killed, like, a whole family. Yeah. And it's just like, I, I just don't think it's enough. Like these- no, it's not. I th- like impaired driving charges, or I think they're way too lenient. Soft, mm-hmm. yep. the opposite of harsh. They're not harsh enough. <laughs> I know <laughs> how to phrase this. Uh, anyway, he fucking killed a guy, and he's living at home under house arrest. Some weeks after the crash, Melissa reported a home invasion that she had been attacked in her backyard. The cops went to the Harrisons looking for Caleb. But it's pretty clear that he wasn't her attacker because he was on crutches. He was still recovering from this car crash. Yeah. And didn't one of the detectives say, like, I'm 100% sure that she just made this shit up or something? Yeah, I'm going to get to that right now. Melissa Melissa kept on reporting home invasions. (laughs) No charges were ever laid. Said a cop of her frequent calls to police, quote, I'm 100% convinced she's making up the whole story. While in family court, Caleb and Melissa, Caleb said Melissa, sorry, Quote, desperately misled police in her continued attempts to implicate me in acts of abuse and create suspicion about me, end quote. So she's telling lies all over the place about this dude. Which is, I think, extremely believable at this point because she's fucking nuts. (laughs) She is fucking nuts. Melissa saw the car crash as proof that Caleb was an unfit parent. She wanted sole custody of their two children. But in October 2005, Caleb was granted limited access to his kids. So supervised visits, that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. Caleb's drunk driving trial was delayed for three years. (laughs) 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 Yeah. Uh, His lawyer tried to argue that Caleb's charter right to speed trial was violated. It's called a Jordan violation. I learned that a little while ago. I'm very pleased to repeat it. <laughs> there is there is actually a, a couple of cases that's been a problem recently because of the backlog in oh, the courts. Yeah, exactly. And so people have been arguing that, you know, and court like cases have been thrown out for it, left, right, and center. Right. And I feel and it, so badly for people when it's like kind of a cut and dry case. And I know, but at the same time, like, yeah, you shouldn't have to wait five years to go to trial. No, agreed. Caleb's lawyer tried to argue this Jordan violation. Um uh, that his case should be dropped, but a judge dismissed the motion. <laughs> so he's still he's still going to go on trial. In <clears throat> late 2005, early 2006, Melissa met Christopher Fattori. I think that's how you say his name. What's how does it spell again? It's like F A T T O R I E. Oh, Fattore. Fattore. It, it's an A sound, like a. It's Italian, sub Italian. <laughs> They met online, Fattore. I think, hey. through Facebook. The two started seeing each other. Their relationship progressed quickly. And soon, they had their first kid together. Sensing a pattern here. She's like a fucking baby-making psycho. Chris proposed <laughs> in the fall of 2006, and they were to be wed in the spring. But Melissa was still technically married to Caleb at this point. I love her excuse here we for go. not getting married or for thinking. Here, here yeah. it is. Uh, <laughs> this is fine. her quote. I made a mistake when I thought that after two years of separation, you were automatically divorced. End quote. There, there are so many men who probably <laughs> wish that. <laughs> Idiot. <laughs> and women for that matter. Yeah. Actually. They went ahead and got married 
which I think makes her a bigamist, technically. Technically, but I think in this case, because it was unintentional, it wouldn't have been. Yeah, well, it just wasn't. It, the marriage was never legal. Yeah. Anyway, well, I think eventually they got divorced, and they probably did get legal. It doesn't matter. The point yeah. is, she's stupid, <laughs> crazy, and stupid. <laughs> uh, Melissa and Christopher would go on to have four children over the next five years, making Melissa a mother of six, and just one pregnant woman after another. Oh, one pregnancy after another. Oh, can you? Oh, no, I've never, I can't. I've I never, can't. <laughs> never been pregnant. Not my thing. But like, I just, I couldn't imagine four kids in five years. Like, that's no. You're no. always pregnant. Yeah. Oh, okay. Around the time Melissa <laughs> married Chris, a judge granted Caleb fifty-fifty custody of his kids. Mm-hmm. Chris, who was totally devoted to Melissa, started an anti-Caleb Facebook page calling for the harshest punishment possible for Caleb's drunk driving accident. He still hadn't gone to trial yet. Caleb and Melissa's hate-filled relationship just got worse and worse. Between 2007 and 2008, Melissa made five false claims that Caleb or his parents had assaulted their kids. At one point, an investigator concluded Melissa had coached the kids about what to say. Caleb and Melissa's relationship was so bad that a judge who presided over their custody dispute, suggested the two only communicate in writing. Well, and also, like, how how fucked up are your kids at this point? Right? Like, that's... Like, in all the readings I did, it never mentions the kids, because, well, like, there's a publication ban on their names, but also yeah. just the impact that this has to have on those poor children. They're, yeah, and, like, it's, like... Yeah, it's just terrible. Like, she does not give a flying fuck for the general welfare of her kids. But she thinks regard. that she's a good mother. And oh, she's yeah. doing she, oh, this in the clearly best inter- interest of her children. But she's yeah. like, no, she's anyway. A, she's a horrible human being. <laughs> uh, so they can only communicate in writing. Melissa really took this to heart and wrote just a shitload of letters. Most of them full of bitterness. Because Caleb was living at his parents' house, the kids were always around Bill and Bridget, and Melissa didn't like how close the children were with their grandparents. She claimed that the kids were becoming estranged from her because whenever whenever Caleb couldn't care for the kids, his parents did it. Like when it was his turn to watch af- to look after them anyway. Yeah. Melissa's letters were just a laundry list of complaints. She accused the Harrisons of neglecting her and Caleb's daughter. She complained about having to communicate or sorry, to accommodate everyone's work schedule. Uh, and then she accused Bridget of writing Caleb's letters for him and then accused the Harrisons of slapping her son. So just like all this crazy nonsense. Yeah. Uh, then she went the extra mile and just withheld custody altogether, refusing to let the kids spend time with Caleb or his parents. A judge intervened forcing Melissa to share custody and ruling that should Melissa ever pull a stunt like that again, the Harrisons should call the cops because it's custodial interference. Okay, Caleb finally went to trial in 2009. Guilty. (laughs) He was guilty. I'll get there. During the trial, Melissa and Chris sat at the back of the courtroom whispering to each other. On at least one occasion, they made faces at the Harrisons. In the parking lot after court adjourned, they pulled their car in front of the Harrisons and stuck out their tongues. So, like, real mature adults. Like, your son's going to jail, motherfuckers. Nah! Yeah, right? <laughs> that right. nah sounded, by the way, is me sticking out my tongue for all you listeners. <laughs> On March 9th, he was given an 18-month jail sentence, plus two years probation, and he was prohibited from driving for two years. During the sentencing, Justice Michael Tulak, Tulak? told Caleb that he seemed to be, quote, a decent man, end quote, and that he was lucky he didn't get a prison sentence, got shit-faced, which was a violation of his parole. Killed some guy. Killed some guy. Injured others, probably permanently. Injured others, and he gets 18 months. Yeah. (laughs) Plus two years probation. Like, (sighs) (laughs) <laughs> After the sentencing, Bill and Bridget filed a motion to transfer Caleb's custody rights to them while he was in jail. Mm-hmm. Uh, if Melissa was hoping that she would get sole custody, she was sorely mistaken. A judge granted the Harrison's motion. Melissa had to share the kids. In early April 2009, Caleb's kids mentioned to their teachers they were going on a trip. Nobody knew this, by the way. Mm. On April 16, 2009... Bridget had a board meeting in the late afternoon. 
When she arrived home, all the lights were off, but the TV was still on and a half-eaten meal was on the coffee table. She searched the house for her husband, finally noticing that the powder room door was closed. They had a bathroom on the ground floor of the house. And it was locked. Yeah. Uh, why would a man home alone lock the bathroom door? She picked the lock and found Bill on the floor dead. Uh, important to note here, the door could be locked from the outside. Yeah, just weird. Why would you have that option? Yeah, I guess it's a weird thing to begin with. But again, I ask... When you're home alone. No, I know. Why you no, I, <laughs> no, no, that's a valid point. Why even close I'm, the door? <laughs> yeah, when I'm home, I generally, and I'm just a peeing, I'm just not <laughs> closing that door. No. Yeah. Since Bill died suddenly, his death had to be treated as a homicide until murder could be ruled out. The coroner arrived at the house about an hour after Bridget found Bill on the floor. He noted Bill had thin red marks on his throat and asked them to be documented, even though he thought the marks were from Bill's crucifix. Mm-hmm. And well, just his necklace, his necklace, not just his crucifix. Well, not just. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's implied that it's I'm, on a chain. <laughs> I know. I'm just clarifying. <laughs> just cause... Anyway, so the, yeah. the coroner thought that the <laughs> necklace. Thank you. Could have made these red marks. And his these opinions were noted. Despite the locked door, the sudden and unexplained manner in which he died, and the neck abrasions, investigators didn't think Bill's death was suspicious. Uh, but still, he had to be autopsy. Bill's postmortem was a non-forensic autopsy performed by Dr. Timothy Feltis, a community-based pathologist. Okay. Yes. This is important. A pathologist is an expert in disease. A forensic pathologist is an expert in disease and injury. Yes. Okay. It's important to note here that Dr. Feltis did not have a certification in advanced postmortems, but that wasn't an issue because since Bill's death wasn't suspicious, he didn't warrant an autopsy performed by a forensic pathologist. Well, and to be fair, the pathologist was also clearly biased because he had heard the reports. Yeah, well, Dr. Feltis was told Bill's death wasn't suspicious. Yeah, so... And he went about his business documenting what he found, including a large bruise on Bill's head and a fractured sternum. He never took a closer look at the abrasions, again, because he knew that the coroner thought the abrasions had come from the necklace. Also, I don't know if he had the proper training to... I guess, I don't know how to phrase this, to look more closely... To assess it. ...at the, the neck and the throat... Because there's like a certain way that you're supposed to dissect that part of the body if there's some kind of like strangulation involved. Anyway, Dr. Feltz has concluded that Bill died from acute cardiac arrhythmia, which just means his heart stopped beating. It doesn't explain why. Yeah. (laughs) Just that it did. Also, Bill had a healthy heart. Dr. Feltis explained away the head trauma and the broken sternum as a result of falling against the bathroom vanity, I guess after his heart stopped. In short, Bill's postmortem said he was a perfectly healthy man and there's no reason why his heart stopped beating, but it did. Therefore, not murder. Yeah, but not murder. Bill died on April 16th. On April 17th, Caleb and Melissa's kids didn't show up at school. Bridget asked the police to do something, but there wasn't much they could do because Melissa had shared custody. On April 23rd, a week after Bill died, Bridget got temporary sole custody of the children. Finally, the police could issue a warrant for Melissa. Caleb was in jail at this time. Uh, He was paroled three months into his 18-month sentence and returned home to live with his widowed mother. His kids were still missing. Mm-hmm. Constable Michael Young was in charge of the abduction investigation. Bridget told him everything about Caleb and Melissa and that her husband had just suddenly died. Constable Young never thought Bill's death and the abductions were related. And had anyone bothered to look closely, they would have learned that Melissa and Chris took off with the kids the day Bill the died. Day. Yeah. yeah. Also, they dyed the kids' hair. Yeah. Not suspicious at all. The kids were missing for seven and a half months. During that time, Melissa and Chris drove to Calgary. Then they settled in Londonderry, Nova Scotia. Police caught up with them after Chris, who'd been using an alias, signed a check with his real name. In November 2009, Melissa was arrested and charged with child abduction. Everyone returned to Ontario. That should have been the end of it. But Melissa was released on bail under the condition she not 
have unsupervised contact with the kids and that she not leave her house without permission. She's just a fucking nutter. Well, here we go. On April 10th, 2010, so almost a year after Bill died, Melissa and Chris drove to Bridget's house in violation of the court order. Melissa stayed in the car while Chris went to the door to deliver a letter and some photos to the kids. While this was happening, Caleb came home and he had the kids with him. He saw Melissa parked on the street and Bridget phoned the police and Melissa spent three days in jail for the parole violation. Melissa's abduction hearing was scheduled for April 21st. So (laughs) 11 days after this incident took place. On April 20th, so again, just over a year after Bill died, Caleb's eight-year-old son came home from school and found Bridget lying at the bottom of the stairs. These poor kids. Poor kids came home and found his grandmother As if they haven't gone through enough. Bridget had abrasions and bruising on her chin and neck, a broken neck and broken ribs. Unlike Bill, her death was ruled suspicious. Hmm. And her body was sent downtown for a full autopsy by a forensic pathologist. Police met with uh, a group of forensic pathologists to discuss Bridget's cause of death. She had injuries which suggested strangulation, but the broken bones in her neck could have resulted from a fall. Later that day, the chief forensic pathologist, Dr. Michael Polanin, met with the same group of cops and doctors, and he was concerned about Bridget being the second person to die in the house with similar neck injuries, uh, and he made sure to point out that Bill's injuries were never properly explained. Yeah, and they couldn't do anything about Bill as well, because even though they kind of wanted to relook at Bill, he was cremated. Well, no, but well, they weren't interested in opening up Bill's case at this point. But yes, he was cremated. That happens later. But it okay, sounds sorry. like this Polanin guy is like kind of on the ball. Yeah. Uh, okay, these murders took place in Mississauga, which is Peel region. So it's Peel police who uh, are in charge. When Peel police have a body... They have to make a decision about who investigates. If it's homicide or a suspected homicide, the Homicide Bureau does the investigation. Oh, imagine that. <laughs> right? But when it's a suspicious death, homicide gets to choose whether or not they investigate. Guess what happened with Bridget? I think that it's, um, they totally investigated it to the thorough extent of the law. <laughs> oh my God, you're right. We can all go home. Yeah, no. Homicide chose not to investigate, and it was handed off to the Criminal Investigations Bureau. Bridget's family would tell anyone who listened that police needed to take a long, hard look at Melissa. The same night Bridget was found, Caleb said to Constable Robert Boyer, one of the cops of the scene, quote, I would ask where Melissa and Chris were, personally, end quote. Instead, police seemed to just focus on Caleb. As I'd mentioned earlier, he and Bridget didn't have a great relationship. And with Bill gone, Bridget and Caleb's relationship was really strained. So the cops were drawn to Caleb. But when it turned out that he had a solid alibi, the investigation stalled. He was their one and only suspect. Didn't really care to widen the net at all. Fucking annoying. The cops did speak with Melissa. Uh, and she said she'd been at home wh- when Bridget died. She was starting up a daycare and was looking after someone's kid. Oh, just the type of person you want looking after <laughs> your children. When asked, Chris said he'd been working in his backyard and running errands, which included going to Melissa's grandmother's house to pick up a drum kit. Yeah, and they never <laughs> asked about the grandmother's trip either. Well, the police confirmed part of his story, but they never followed up with the grandmother. Yeah. So... Police spent two weeks investigating Bridget's death. Then the lead investigator was reassigned to a special command team for the G20 summit in Toronto. And that was the end of that. Uh, Around the time the investigation was winding down, pathologists and police met for a final meeting in June. The doctors explained possible mechanisms of injury, and the cops found no evidence of foul play. Bridget's death was ruled undetermined and just left at that. I have an image of the the list of injuries and their the competing theories, uh, murder or fall down the stairs, right. and it will shock you. Really? Yes, because there is so much more evidence for murder, <laughs> but 
They just decided they just shut her down. Yeah, exactly. So I will post that on the Twitter feed. Yeah, please do. Um, okay. The cops are sympathetic to the family's suspicions about Melissa. This is amazing. But told them it wasn't good enough and encouraged them to find a proof that she'd been involved in Bridget's death. All right. It's so, like, oh, the burden of proof is on you guys. So <laughs> basically, I'm a lazy fucking cop. Bring me evidence that she did it and then maybe I'll do my job. Like, no, dude, it's your job to investigate this woman, not the family's. And you had nothing but suspicions about Caleb and you spent two weeks looking into him. It's just that part bothers me so much. Her case was closed on September 2nd, 2010, pending the receipt of further information. Melissa pled guilty to abducting her children in 2009 and lost shared custody of the kids. She now had access only yeah, every other weekend, and this arrangement lasted for a couple of years. In the spring of 2013, Caleb temporarily agreed to letting the kids spend every other week with Melissa. That July, Melissa filed an application for shared custody because the temporary arrangement that she had with Kayla was coming to an end and she wanted to be able to keep seeing her kids on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. Kayla was killed the night before the temporary arrangement was to end. Convenient. <laughs> yeah, very convenient. Two weeks it's, later, Melissa... It's almost like... It's just like the timing of everything. I it's know, just right? so like, ridiculous. No one even fucking took a look at that. No. Two weeks later, Melissa filed for sole custody of the kids, explaining that her ex-husband had died. And she got what she wanted. There was little question as to whether Caleb's death was suspicious. <laughs> a fully trained and certified forensic pathologist performed the postmortem, and Caleb's death was ruled a homicide by asphyxiation. So police changed their minds about his parents. Finally, at last, homicide detectives were on the case. Or hey. cases, I guess. Said Detective Sergeant Randy Cohen, quote, it's obvious that it's unusual to have that many sudden deaths in a house because three people have died in the residence. It's standard protocol to look back and make sure there's nothing connecting the three. Oh. Way to go, Detective Sergeant. Yeah. Thank you, Captain Obvious. (laughs) Christ. The police started surveilling Melissa and Chris almost immediately. I like to think they're trying to make up for having dropped the ball so spectacularly and having completely failed this family Mm -hmm. an undercover police officer tailed chris as he ran errands and picked up a tim hortons cup that chris had thrown out uh in this way they got a dna match to dna found under kayla's fingernails another cop posing as a waste collector picked up chris and melissa's trash and found a pair of shoes covered in dog hair Mm-hmm. And latex gloves that had Caleb's DNA on the outside and Chris's on the inside. Oh, imagine that. And these shoes that they picked, they got out of the trash. There is video of, video tape of Chris purchasing those shoes at Walmart, like the day before Caleb died. They're just the dumbest murderers. I, I don't. So it bad. just bothers me that they got away with so much for so long. Melissa tried to go to Caleb's wake. That she was turned away. Oh, I imagine. Yeah. <laughs> right? But still, victory was hers because she had the kids. Uh, in November, she and Chris again took off with their brood for the East Coast. <sighs> in January 2014, Detective Phil King from Peel reached flew to Nova Scotia. And with officers from the local RCMP dispatch, arrested Melissa and Chris for Bridget and Caleb's murders. Bill's murder was still being investigated. As we said, he'd been cremated, so they couldn't take another look at his remains after 13 hours of interrogation chris told detective king quote i didn't like caleb harrison end quote he then confessed to murdering bridget and caleb saying melissa didn't know anything about what he'd done until after the fact right but he didn't admit to murdering bill no he did not he just uh but but because they were bill's the charges were for bridget and caleb not for bill so Mm -hmm. why bring it up Chris said that in August, sorry, that in April of 2010, he went to the house with a note, pretending it was for the kids. When Bridget answered the door, he forced his way in and attacked her. Quote, I hit her a couple of times. I then proceeded to squeeze her neck until she stopped breathing and laid on the floor. End quote. Mm-hmm. In 2013, he went back to the house at night with the intent of killing Caleb. 
He stole a key to the house from Caleb's son, let himself in, and struck Caleb while he slept with a baseball bat. When Caleb sprang up, uh, Chris threw him into a shelving unit and strangled him. Mm -hmm. After Chris confessed, police put him and Melissa in a room together and recorded their conversation. I'm taking the rap for it, Chris said, to give you accessory after the fact. So she totally knew. Oh, yeah, she did. Yeah. If, if not, like, instigated the whole thing. Yeah, right? The trial began on September 27th, 2017. Prosecutors argued that while Chris committed the murders alone, both he and Melissa conspired to murder Caleb and his mother, which makes them both guilty of first-degree murder. Chris was also charged with second-degree murder for killing Bill. Chris tried to plead guilty to manslaughter for Caleb's death, but the Crown rejected it. Melissa and Chris pled not guilty on all of the charges. In January 2018, so not too long ago, Chris and Melissa were found guilty of murdering Caleb Harrison. Chris was also guilty of murdering Bridget. The court declared a mistrial for Melissa um, with respect to her first-degree murder charge for Bridget. Chris was not guilty of second-degree murder uh, for the second-degree murder of Bill because of a lack of evidence. Regardless, they both received life sentences with no chance of parole for 25 years. Right. And that lack of evidence kind of comes through something I'm going to go into more later, but basically they seized a whole bunch of computer files. Well, but you can go into it now because I'm done. (laughs) So essentially the police seized a whole bunch of computer files, uh, went into their computers in their houses. Stop fiddling with the microphone. (laughs) Sorry. Um, so, yeah, so anyway, so they they went into the house, they went into the computer, and they basically downloaded a whole bunch of computer files that were incredibly damning. Basically, well, that's, it's that's them admi- admitting to murder. Not, so. so that's not quite exactly what happened. When Chris and Melissa fucked off for Nova Scotia that second time, they left a ton of shit behind in, uh, I think, like a storage facility. Right. And so the cops had access to this facility and they were able to rifle through it and in it they found a personal computer i think it was a laptop yeah and so anyway so had a look at the laptop (laughs) yeah so this kind of also comes into the the whole thing about phones now for everybody out there um so section eight of the canadian charter of rights and freedoms says everyone has the right to be secure against unreasonable search and seizure so it means that there's a reasonable i'm going to use air quotes reasonable expectation of privacy so um the right focuses on the basis that it violates the expectation of privacy that are like that someone would reasonably have but so in the case of a murder investigation in which you're charged with, or let's say I'm charged with murder. Do I still have an, a reasonable right to privacy if I'm being investigated for murder? Yeah, you do, because otherwise they would be able to go through everything. So, but so that's for what instance, is for isn't it? Like they have a warrant to look at me, look through all my stuff. Yeah, but they have they have a warrant, but they don't have a warrant for they might have a warrant for a house. They don't have mm-hmm. a warrant for everything, right? They don't have a warrant for your whole like for your whole life. So, but if my no. computer's in my house, no. So I the mean, the warrant so, doesn't cover my computer. No, not necessarily, unless it's specifically stated, because you would still have an expectation of privacy that you wouldn't be able to go through those files. So you, it, it just comes down to the fact that you can search a house for evidence, but it depends on the type of evidence. So what I'm driving at here. No, I understand what you're saying, but that's not the way that it works. Okay. I'm just just saying this is where the law, you have to be very specific about your warrants. No, but I'm saying this because the computer evidence was thrown out of court for this 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 reason. reason. Yes. Yes, exactly. So, for instance, um, so garbage placed at the curb for pickup is considered in the law to be abandoned. Yes. So it doesn't, it doesn't belong actually, to me anymore. I threw so it, it away. Have, yeah, exactly. So it doesn't have a reasonable privacy interest. So anytime when you have reasonable privacy, then it comes into, uh, then, then the chapter eight or charter, like section eight comes into play. Mm-hmm. But I guess the other sticky point about this is because they left town and left all this stuff behind. Could you argue that it had been thrown away? Well, it was in a storage facility though. So no. So. I don't know. It's just like, right? it seems it's like just, a great. Anyway, I, should we talk about what's on the computer? 
<laughs> yeah, please do. Because okay. it was damning evidence. It but was unfortunately, like oh. it would have been it would have been a cut and dry case. Like, yeah, no problems. But unfortunately, that's not the way it rolled out. And like, to be fair, I mean, if you're accused of a of a crime, and say you wrote some nasty emails, and they just got a hold of those, that would be shit. <laughs> <laughs> that would be a bit of a problem. Yeah, 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 exactly. So basically, what they found on this computer was Chris and Melissa's search history. It was a shared computer. Hmm. Uh, and they had Googled all kinds of incriminating stuff. Oh, God, so much. Such like, as. Basically, how to kill your people. Like, just. Here we go. I have. I've got the list. Oh, good. What if a grandparent has legal custody and they die? How long does it take to die from choking? How long does it take for a person being strangled to pass out? Easy ways to kill and get away with it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so slam dunk yeah. for the prosecution. But, but not so much because it was done improperly. Yes. Yeah, so all of this computer evidence uh, was inadmissible because the search warrant did not include... Anything found on the computer. Yeah. Unfortunately. So, so that's, so that's that one. Those poor kids. But yeah, so I, it's, it's awful. Three people died in this house. Nobody really paid attention to what was going on. Clearly this woman was insane. Uh, and just only cared about, I guess, owning these children, essentially. And would probably argue she did it, everything she did was in the best interest of her kids. But these kids are going to be complete, totally messed up. Their mother and stepfather killed their yep. grandparents and their father in succession. Yep. Like, yep. And then the state doesn't even allow, so in Caleb's will, it was the cousin that was supposed to get the kids, and the state didn't even allow that. Where did the kids go? We, I don't know. No one, it's not stated anywhere. All right, because, uh, yeah. So... That's right. So just like what, like the police totally failed this family. It's oh, so absolutely. upsetting, and yeah, failed these kids as well. Happy, happy times. Awful happy times. tragedy at what, what is it? Thirty six, thirty five, Pitchpine Crescent. Pitchpine Crescent, anyway. Yeah, the awful tragedy of Pitchpine Crescent. Oh my god. So, do you have um, any stupid criminal stories anyway to lighten the mood? Oh yeah, um, I do. That's pretty depressing. Stop playing with the microphone. <laughs> I didn't even know you could hear that. Of course I can hear it. It's a microphone. Oh, that's really It super transmits sensitive. sound. <laughs> Sorry, it's just got this rubber thing, and it's really fascinating. Stop doing that. <laughs> okay. Go on. Okay. A man, apl- a wanted man, applied for a job with a police station. Nice. So this dude, he worked at a bank in Arizona. And the bank suspected him of stealing about five grand mm-hmm. over the course of three months. Right. He quit his job and moved to Phoenix. He was in, I don't know where he was. Anyway, so like before anything could happen, uh, he just up and left. In <laughs> so he gets to Phoenix and he needs a job. So he applies for a job as a dispatcher for a local police department. But like he's a fugitive. So, of course, like, his name pops up when the police process this application. So they figure the easiest way to catch him is to just schedule an interview, which nice. they do. And he shows up at the police station for his interview. And, and they arrest him. That's amazing. So dumb. I bet he thought he was being clever. I'm going to hide in plain sight. I'm going to work for yeah, the guy. Exactly. <laughs> I'm going to work for the guy. Yeah, exactly. They'll never know. <laughs> I'll just gain access to their computers and delete myself. Exactly. (laughs) Not the way it works. There you go. What have you got for us in terms of dumb laws? Yeah. Have you ever been to Winnipeg? I have not been to Winnipeg. Hmm. I would just recommend that, uh, you know, you don't strike the sidewalk with a metal object because that's illegal. (laughs) The bylaw forbids it. So Any metal object? Nasty, nasty fine. Just a metal object. Just a solid state. Okay. Well, my... Hmm. I was going to like, what if I brush up against the curb in my car? No, you can't strike it. I can't strike it. Yeah. So no metal heels, I guess. 
So I can't just like take a metal bat and just wail on the sidewalk. No, no. But I guess I mean, like, does that count for like canes with like a metal point at the bottom or something like? Yeah, well, but if you're walking with a cane, wouldn't have like a little rubber stopper on it? I'm guessing that this happened because some (laughs) some rando guy was like trying to like bust through a sidewalk, but it was legal at the time with like a sledgehammer because he was fucking bored or something. (laughs) It's so specific. I know. (laughs) It's so weird. Like, maybe also people were mad about the way that the sidewalk was made, so they had too much of a curb or something. I don't know. a shitty job pouring the sidewalk. I have that problem right now in front of my house, actually. So they... I have... Actually, I have this problem as well. (laughs) So the sidewalk had to be replaced in front of the house because it was drilled out when the house was being built. Um... And the driveway was, I guess, installed. I don't know what other word to use for it. So they, whoever came in and like laid new concrete for the sidewalk, but there's no dip in the curb. Okay. So there's like, cause you know, like in, in front of a driveway, the curb, like the sidewalk comes down to meet the road. Right. Right. So there's like a smooth transition from road into the driveway over the sidewalk. But it's just a huge curb. The sidewalk doesn't dip down to meet the road. Oh. <laughs> Have fun with that. So, I guess, I don't know what the law is in Ottawa. Maybe I can go outside with my metal bat and just go to town <laughs> on the curb. I think it's going to take a lot more than a metal bat. And I'm more likely to destroy the realistic. bat than destroy the let's sidewalk. Be, let's be realistic. You don't own a metal bat. I don't have. It's true. I don't. <laughs> a metal rod. Oh. And an outnet carbon. I can rod. imagine how much that would hurt your hands. Just go for the sledge. Just get a well, sledge. Just a, like, but a sledgehammer isn't a metal rod. So what damage could you possibly do to a sidewalk? With, with a, a sledge? With a metal rod. Uh depends. I mean if you had a metal rod and you'd like chipped away at it with like something else, like a hammer on top of the rod. But then it's a know. hammer, it's not the rod hitting it. I don't know. Either way, you could try it in Ottawa, but you can't do it in Olympic. Alright, good to know. Thank you for joining us. And yeah, I guess until next time, I've been Shelly. What? <laughs> no, I've been Rachel. Yeah, what? <laughs> I don't know what that was. <laughs> I think because I'm looking at you. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Wow. Oh, my God. Definitely need to drink more wine. <laughs> yeah, I was like, how much have you had already? Jesus. I have, you have been Shelly. There I we have, go. I have been Shelly, yes. <laughs> Maybe not anymore. I'm not sure anymore, but, and you have been Rachel. I have. So just stay safe out there. Just stay away from crazy fucking girlfriends. Yeah, seriously. Oh my God.